10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, Howdy y'all and welcome to the Wrexham Texan. My name is Jake Green. Thank y'all so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Um, if you want to go follow me on Instagram and Twitter, feel free to WXM Texan. Um, today's episode uh, is an interview with the director of photography for the show. Welcome to Wrexham. His name is Craig Hastings. He works on documentaries all around the world. He does, he works all the time. Um, he is uh, a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic cinematographer. Um, and I mean, our interview went extremely well. He he seems like such a good dude. Um, I'm so glad that he, he was able to uh, work out. I mean, let's see. Let's let's pull up his IMDb real quick. Uh, Craig Hastings. There we go. Um, here are some of his credits. He's a cinematographer, cinematographer on Welcome to Wrexham, The Green Planet, Digging for Britain, Rob Bell's Bridges That Belt, Built London. I mean, he literally has been working for how long in the camera department? Um, gosh. Over 20 years. Over 20 years he's been a cinematographer. Um, and just worked on loads of interesting things, including one of his projects coming up is uh, that he just flew back in from working on was a project about that city that they're building in Saudi Arabia, the line, um, that super long, super thin city out in the middle of the desert. Um, so he's working on that right now, which is interesting. He's also working on or, uh, uh, Planet Earth 3 that I believe just came out. Um, which is pretty awesome. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude works all the time. Fantastic. Um, really good dude to talk to. Please stick around for the interview. Um, we get into some technical jargon, but a lot of what he has to say uh, is fantastic uh, insight behind like what happens behind the scenes as, as a production person as of somebody on the crew of the documentary series. So if you don't know much about that, you're going to find this episode very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had something else to say and now I'm blanking on what it was. Oh, <laughs> drop a like on this episode, um, share it, uh, post about it, all of that good stuff. Uh, I, we're trying to build subscribers for this, for this show so that I can turn this into more of a full-time or part-time job so that I can focus more on the club, more on the team, more on the docu-series, and just more on Wrexham in general. Maybe I can make it over there for the 2024-2025 season so that I can record some episodes in person with uh, some folks in the town of Wrexham. I think that would be a 
blast. So, um, yeah, make sure you drop a like and share it around. Po post it on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Facebook, all of it. Um, anyway, appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate y'all watching. Here is my interview with Craig Hastings, the director of photography for Welcome to Wrexham. All right, Craig Hastings, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Pleasure to be here. How are you? Doing wonderfully. Um, I appreciate you coming on so late at night, your time, um, after so much travel. I know traveling for work, I assume it's for work, um, is can be pretty exhausting. It, it was for work. Uh, it was mainly the heat and the dust that was kind of the exhausting part of it. Um, it was just yeah. one of those shoots where you're out in the sun all day, all day, all day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, like I said, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you told me you listened to the first episode um, before we hopped on tonight and uh, got a question that I get asked all the time is, did you ride a horse to school growing up? Um, yes, I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Why did you ride a horse to school? Just leave up, there, so that'll be enough. We're just going for the rest of it. So uh, I'm from rural Australia. Okay. And we, my grandfather was a jockey professional wow. and we had a lot of horses and I was handed one as a sort of secondhand horse, if you can call it that, one owner. Um, and occasionally I would ride it to school. And this was very normal, can I say, for other kids. It was a very small school of about 60 kids, all age groups. Wow. And um, there was a grazing field for horses. And the rich kids had motorbikes and I was desperate for a motorbike, but no, I got a horse. That is hilarious. That's amazing. Um, one thing that I, I know happened recently, I forget which state, but here in the States, um, two, two guys learned, I think it was in Montana, actually, two high school students learned that there's a law that it, when a student shows up to high school with their horse, it is the principal's job to take care of the horse for the day. And so they, on their final day of school, they showed up on two horses and the principal did his duty and went and took care of their horses. <laughs> Imagine if that extended to other animals in different countries, you know, elephants, oh rhinoceros. I mean, just What's imagine if it extended to cars. Like, wh why didn't that? happen uh, you know? yeah i thought about that that's good that's good yeah yeah, yeah. and in the principal has world. to go get the oil change go get the and tires in 50 years filled. time flying cars <laughs> gosh man that'd be the that'd be a pretty great high school experience to have your entire <laughs> you know vehic vehicular maintenance uh taken care of by the school i principal. see a gap in the market personally <laughs> Um, well, Craig, uh, for those who don't know, tell us what you, uh, what was your job on Welcome to Wrexham or what is your job? So for the first, uh, two seasons, I was uh, lead DOP and I wasn't there 100% of the time. I was there 70, 75% of the time. Mm -hmm. And I was also the lead drone pilot. Um, uh, season three is obviously underway and I've done a little bit of it. I definitely did the American tour in full um and then not been on it as much i've sort of gone on to other projects since that time so approximately three years of filming for the first two and a little bit Wrexham series nice um for those who don't know what is dip dop is DOP. director of photography there we go yeah and sometimes they just do dp um i don't know why that is um it, it just means that you uh you're not just sort of the only cameraman Mm -hmm. uh, or camera woman on the team you are 
uh, directing other staff like an assistant or another camera person lighting you're 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 not sort of i'm not saying that you you because obviously you know especially if on bigger budget films lighting really you know bring a lot of skill to it uh, and they will be quite a big honcho um but generally speaking on a medium level you're you know you're in you're in charge of more or less all of those those departments gotcha gotcha yeah absolutely um what what was it that got you involved to begin with um with this show so originally i was brought on as the drone pilot only and that was way back before uh just when covid was getting started and uh the the main dop of that time left and i'm not sure if it was covid related or i never got to the bottom of that and then they asked me to come on as a trial basis and then um never left couldn't get rid of me <laughs> well i imagine uh i mean it it struck a chord with so many people all around the world including myself it's it's why i became a rexham fan pretty much i mean i started looking into rexham just before the series aired but then the series kind of solidified that so what what is it like um working on a documentary like this um, behind the scenes, as far as like the camaraderie of the of the crew and like your interaction with with your subjects, like how does how does that generally go? Well, are we talking about Wrexham specific or just generally? Uh, we'll just say Wrexham specific this time. So Wrexham, I think, is a pretty special series. It's certainly been you know, a highlight uh, in in my career, not just because it's it has been such a success. But I've made friends that I know that probably will never go away. Um, now, as far as the team goes, I think we had a, um, an excellent team. We had some, you know, local D DOPs and production staff, and we had some London-based staff. We had some from Scotland. We had some from Wales. You know, especially on big game days, we'd sometimes have 30 people on the mm -hmm. camera team, and that's sort of sound assistants, um, uh, you know, crew and mm -hmm. then as far as from the production side that was uh heavily us related um two guys john and milosh they sort of you know ran the operations um from boardwalk pitches and you know i've made friends with them and i hope i'll be working with them you know on their next projects whatever they do um I, they have both moved off um i sort of talk to them quite regularly um yeah, you know, you can sort of, you almost know within the first week whether this is going to be, you know, of course, with time and pressure and tiredness, you sometimes, you know, you get a bit frayed and maybe you aren't getting on as well with the crew as you mm. would on day one. But over time, I've realised that, you know, everyone's very, in this team has been very professional and done their job fantastically and had a good time. So you walk away from it going, yeah, not only am I getting paid for this, it's like it's like I'm with my mates every day. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I found the, the best thing about making documentaries and making movies is is that you're you're the acceleration of like friendships happens so quickly when you're going through the stress of making um, making art and uh yeah, because so much rides on it, and like especially with live things like documentaries, if you miss the moment, uh, it's it's missed. You can't really recreate it if you're not doing reenactments and stuff like that. So, 
Or you um, might say, if we missed it, it never happened in the first place. Is there we go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, when you're, when, uh, it seems like a lot of people traveled into Wrexham to to um, help out with the crew and like join the crew for this. Um, how how many are locals compared to people who who travel in? Uh, from memory, well, it depends what you mean, how far you want to travel, because definitely um, there were two cameramen um, who I think, again, are still working out this year that were in the town. And they, you know, considering Wrexham is such a small town, mm-hmm. they were excellent. And, you know, um, junior is the wrong way to say it, but um, they had to, certainly worked on big productions before, but nothing like like Wrexham. And they really stepped up to the plate. They, you know, it's been a, it's been wonderful having someone local and having that local knowledge that you can rely on. Um, and I um, wanted a sound man that I knew from London and he was able to do it. And um, I've worked with him for many years and it was great, you know, mm-hmm. someone to laugh with and someone you really trust. Uh, and some other people that i known from Scotland and some other people uh, that I met who were close by in Wales and, you know, they... You know, I found out they worked on very high-end productions, you know, things like Drive to Survive um, mm. for Netflix and things like that. So, you you know, we, were, we really were bringing in an A-class team um, yeah. and we found A-class people in Wrexham as well. So it was, um, I think, very lucky from uh, from Boardwalk's point of view to, to have that sort of quality just sitting there with them, for them. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I always forget when I talk about other countries or like traveling in like this, I always forget that traveling from London to, to Wrexham is, is like, you don't even get halfway across Texas, like with that amount of time. So um, <laughs> I, for, I forget how small certain countries are. So, uh, I mean, the fact that the two cameramen came from Wrexham is pretty impressive considering how small the town actually is. Um, Cause there's not a ton of, great cameramen who know like what they're doing and can can jump into a, a series like this um that's an impressive skill to have um, yeah and also production staff like there's definitely a few there mm-hmm. i thought i mean you i was sort of looking at them about six months in going you know it's a it's a i sort of said to them if you you know you didn't have to stay in rex you've definitely got the skill um the local production company a company called troy tv um you know brought them in and they, they sort of thrived under the pressure and then, you know there was some real pressure days it's you could you know you've got two hollywood stars who are mm. sort of at the top here you right. you realize especially the first day they turned up which was obviously after covid had settled a little bit and the town went nuts um you know you had to you you, you felt like even though you are essentially doing a documentary and it all goes to iso that then gets edited later you do feel the pressure that like, you know, this, this is really happening now, even though all the lead up to it and all the fun that you had with the team and the club and the, the staff who work at the club and the people in the town, you know, it's, it's not as though you don't value what um, you film with them. Right. But the, obviously a lot of the reason why we were there is because of these two guys and you don't want to mess it up when they're around. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, you had mentioned before we started talking that y'all have been filming for a while before the, the y'all basically filmed a whole season before the first season of the documentary series 
aired. Um, can you talk about uh, how that came about and why that first or why you think that first season didn't air? I mean, I, I, I think it was purely editorial. They wanted okay. to pick a point where the story would start well. And obviously the history would always existed. And um, I, th I think there was definitely a few interviews that were um, covered again. So the, the editorial um, did start at the right place. Um, I guess when it came down to it, when they sort of, you know, shot enough material, it just, it just made sense. I mean, again, this is, this is sort of not my job, but me personally, when I watched finally episode one, I was thinking, Oh, yep, that, that absolutely makes sense. You know, if you, if you think about scenes in a film and, um, how important it is to kind of get to the point mm. and bring, you know, hook people straight away, that was a good way of doing it. And I and I don't know. I mean, you you tell me what do you think because um, we certainly had a lot of material in the bag mm. um, by that time, but it just made sense. It just made sense to me to start where it started. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. I thought like the story was compelling from the very first moment, um, like the very first scene. Uh, I thought the first season, much like I, I compared a lot to Ted Lasso in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ted Lasso's like first season may have been one of the best full seasons of, of a comedy series ever. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel that way about the first season of welcome to Rex. I'm like, it, it makes it to where the, you know, the, the seasons afterward are going to be hard to top that first season. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, I, I thought uh, where they started was a perfect place to start. Um, and so it, it makes sense. I mean, like you said before the call, like that, that's an expensive call to make to just kind of almost throw out an entire season of, of filming. Um, that, but the fact that they did that kind of shows their dedication to the story and to what they thought would be compelling, which is very impressive. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they sort of sat there and, you know, there was... Uh, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure there were programs that were edited to start at other places. Mm. And it just, for them, it just like, you know, that's just not working. Let's just, let's keep going with this. And it's testament to, you know, everyone who worked on it, especially on the editorial level that, um, you know, they, they, re they really thought about where, you know, starts are important, aren't they? And obviously, mm. if you don't get a start right, it doesn't mean you won't have a success. But if you can, it's, 50 to 70 percent of getting you you know to people watching the next episode and then the next episode and the next episode right exactly um one of the questions for some reason people ask me frequently about this show is they they, they ask me how many cameras do you think are going during um a, a match um can you shed some light on that so i can stop having to guess well, it varies. It definitely varies. And like some matches, they consider more important than others. And also, you know, budgets aren't unlimited. Right. So like some of the FA Cup stuff, it was just me. And I would cut, like I would go to the goal end and then um, um, try and be around everything. And, you know, right. I, there was one really... I was uh, an episode I was really happy with. I just happened to be everywhere at the right time. And that was that FA Cup where uh, Ryan had arrived and I was in the corner with two of Mullen's goals and then straight up to the to the box to catch Ryan's 
enthusiasm, um, <laughs> which was great. And I just remember thinking, I said to the um, showrunner, I said, I just, I just happened to be everywhere just at the right time. And, you know, we shoot on either prime or ingenue lenses. So you are restricted. You don't have an everything lens. So you, you right. kind of just, but, you know, once you've filmed things a while, you think I kind of know what I don't need. And mm, yeah. hopefully you're in the right place. So we definitely have scaled up though. Like we would try to think of our biggest day. So it's one, two, three, four, probably I'm going to guess around six cameras okay. on a match day. So you'd have two corner cameras with um, quite long lenses, 51,000 lenses. Um, mm. They're the ones I do a bit of natural history and I just finished um, a while ago on planet earth three oh, and yes. uh, we um we would use those lenses for our you know the animal mm -hmm. to keep as far away as possible and not let them know where you are and it's great for football um um and then you would have for the actuality cameras the shoulder cameras you would a mix of primes zeiss primes mm -hmm. uh or ingenues that are sort of 30 to 90 and that way we've got a really nice f-stop on on our actuality and you know makes it look very filmic and you also need a little bit less lighting if you you don't want to use it mm -hmm. um and uh some of the more fixed cameras that are on tripods saying getting wide shots you know they, they just might have a canon lens on it because right. even though it's important it's not as important as the character stuff that you're doing uh and the super close-ups you are you know you're getting everything you know and those two guys i only did it a couple of times but um, uh, Leighton and Gareth, um, I remember the two corner guys who did it and they, they were amazing and they, they'd done a lot of football. So, mm. and just watching, especially their confidence grow, because I know that John and Milos were like, you know, closer, closer, cause we want that sort of, you know, we want that super duper slow-mo quality. Yes. And you know, it's a risk and I quite often would talk to the guys when they were worried about, you know, F-stop and, and and that it, it is a risk that you might be out of focus at the wrong time or yeah. not be on the ball because you're not fast enough with the zoom but you've you've I, I think a lot of the times you do have to take a bit of risk because then the quality better and we had you know we had we had a lot of cameras on it so you could always go to that other safer camera anyway mm -hmm. so um you know these these guys i think i think they did an amazing job in some of the games you just feel like oh i'm watching live coverage here yes I mean, so many of the episodes that cover the games are like, I marvel at it. Um, and knowing that there are games when it's just you or just one cameraman in general, that uh, that is incredibly impressive. I know that shooting sports um, on a prime lens and having to switch between lenses, that is extremely stressful. Um, so kudos to you, man. That's that's awesome. Well, I mean, it's it, it it came from having filmed a lot of games and thinking, yeah, I can get away with this mm. because I really want the nice f-stop and I really want that. And we did certainly, um, like when I, we had a lot of cameras, I would quite often stay on a prime and I'd be able to go from a face that was in the crowd to action and back again right. because I had the confidence. One, if I didn't quite get it, some other people were getting it. So that's the overground that's next to my window. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, uh, if I knew that I was, you know, had to be on the ball, I'd probably go back to the ingenue, which is a zoom lens, right. um, but a nice, you know, F2 zoom lens. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, you could go quite way in or quite way out. Um, and also the cameras we were using, 
you didn't have to use the 4K sensor. You could use the Super 16 sensor, but still get 14K rushes. So you suddenly were punched in another 30, 40%, which gave you far more reach onto the pitch than you had before. You know, and knowing <laughs> knowing when to do that, like you really had to go, right, now's the time, because it takes you about 20, 30 seconds to swap in the menu settings. <laughs> and you don't want to be caught out when there's suddenly action. And you would have watched football where you turn your back and it's like the wave of an ocean never turn your back because the action will be past you before you know it <laughs> yep that happens to everybody i mean this past or one of the episodes was it the second to last one i guess of the season where uh glenn leaves to go to the bathroom and they score and like that, that happened that happened to like uh rob earlier in the season like it happens to me just going in the other room for literally two seconds to get a glass of water the other day we scored and it just yeah. it's but we're not under the pressure of having to film it <laughs> so it's just disappointment for us it's not uh you know missing something that could potentially go in the documentary so that's that's true and obviously if you do miss a goal or an injury it's an edit it's a big editorial point so you obviously yeah. i mean obviously if they score a lot of goals you can you, you might be able to miss one out but you don't want to you don't want to give them you know what i have to say to you know, la mm, can you cut me on this bit um we'd right. rather they had it all <laughs> yeah exactly it In is fact, when, when i was filming will ferrell um i can't remember which season we're in now is that season two season two yeah season two yeah and um he was on his phone when one of the goals was scored <laughs> yes and i was i was on him because i could actually see he wasn't watching and you just see him sort of look up and around going oh what, 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 what happened and then then for the rest of the match he's like okay anytime we get near our goal i'm just going to pretend to be on the phone and that's what he did he just pulled out his phone and just kept tapping <laughs> that was <laughs> such he, a good he moment. jinxed the whole thing if he wasn't on his phone <laughs> that's so good that's such a good moment to get on camera too because like even that that's so funny because like you could be paying attention to the to the game to the match getting the goal on camera but instead you're filming a guy missing getting the goal on camera which is just I mean, comedy it, in and of itself <laughs> it was and it was it was really because obviously i knew we had that match we had two i think we had two corner cameras so we were fine and all the proper coverage and um it's not usually i'm up in the box normally i'm next to the coach so um uh it was it was it was i remember walking around going well i'm glad i got that moment because actually that was quite special <laughs> so when it's just you um for people who don't know how much running around the field like how many steps or miles or like how much run, are you sweating by the end of a match oh wales is pretty cold <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean and you know obviously it's a winter sport here mm -hmm. in the uk um so i'm gonna say yeah yeah i guess you probably did the thing that happens and we have to we do have to plan this is in when you go inside the dressing room it is or the change room or however you want to call it um and you've got 20 sweating guys in there the lens just sucks and go and fogs up so what we had to do is have two lenses the same it's quite expensive one Ooh. sitting in there pre-warmed and the other one you didn't have to worry about because when you took it outside it went cold so that wasn't the problem it's only when it went warm and that one stayed inside and i would basically run in and i got about 30 seconds to change that lens which sometimes wasn't enough um and then be at the door for when the players turn from the tunnel and they're heading towards me and you had to time it you had to sometimes you know and it, this happened many times when you know um because i was quite quite often on the crowd cheering when a goal mm. would happen and the the, the um, 
producer would go, okay, time to go in. I say, fine, fine, fine. So I turn the corner and just so I hit the tunnel, kind of like I can hear a crowd cheer. They've obviously scored in the last 30 seconds and I'm not on it. And you just, what can you do? Because you haven't got a shot of the, you know, you haven't got a shot of Phil or Steve, you know, all, all those, you know, you've, you've kind of missed it. And I know that the two corner cameras can't be concentrating on them. That's That was my job. But unfortunately there is a disconnect. And because we try and keep the footprint low, especially mm. for um, the coaching staff mm. you don't want to put two cameras next to them because it just gets in their way and it, you know it just annoys them so we try and keep that as small as possible but it also means this could happen and it has happened a couple of times mm. but yeah um as, as far as temperature goes i would say yes when you step inside that room because you're outside and you're running around a bit you're a nice temperature yeah. and you get inside and you've got to strip off because if you start sweating then your eye starts sweating and then the viewfinder starts sweating and then you can't see anything which is a bit of a problem Yes, very much so. Um, that's an that's an interesting point that I've always thought about with with these high stress situations and like these live events and live games is is like how often, um, and you don't have to real names or anything, but like how does does do your subjects ever get frustrated with you or your other cameramen with you being in the way or being there when they don't want you to be there? Um, I'm not going to say that they get frustrated with us because they they haven't really announced it but i i would say they probably do because mm. the, you know us being there isn't their day job their day job is to win matches right and um we just try and like i said before keep as low footprint as possible and knowing where to stand at certain times knowing when it's appropriate to enter a room you know this is all known beforehand mm -hmm. and if I'm on my own, then I'll probably, you know, judge it as best as possible. But quite often the producer will go in without a camera mm -hmm. and then just turn around and he'll sort of signal uh, to come in. Um, so that, yeah, it's, you know, and every week you kind of have to reset. You can't mm -hmm. just say, well, last week we did it this way. Even though that's your framework, right. you have to pretend that every match is new and you have to make sure that you have their respect. And no, you know, trying to show them that I'm trying to be out of your way as much as possible, even though I've got this lens in your face constantly, um, is I guess the best way to to honor their mm. work because they've already, you know, this is. Can you imagine someone in your house or your work following you approximately eight hours of the day, and you being all right with that? Right. Yeah, and seeing as you at your worst possible moment, you know, and like yeah, getting, when getting lost, terrible <laughs> yeah. feeling. I feel terrible. I want the team to win, yeah. and you know, I'm from Australia. We didn't, don't we do now? But we certainly didn't play football when I grew up. Mm. If, uh, football, we have football, but it's a different thing. It's Australian rules. It's rugby. It's mm -hmm. um, um, rugby league. Um, but we, you know, soccer, as Americans would call it, didn't exist in Australia for a long time. And obviously it's grown there now since I left the country, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I, I place very high respect in all the coaching staff because we are with them and ask a lot of favors. And when they've said no, I've never been, um, worried by it because right. they have the right, they have the right because right. they've always they've given us so much in the past and i know that they will continue to give us stuff in the future yeah you don't want to be pushy and you know 
be nitpicky and just try to get something, you know, that, that they're not interested in you getting or whatever, you know, um, that totally makes sense to me. Uh, um, let's, I want to talk about your drone work because the, some of the drone shots in this are by far my favorite shots of, of the entire series. Um, first of all, what kind of drone do you typically use? So I've got three drones, um, but I mainly use the Mavic class ones. And for the half, the, uh, shooting, I use the Mavic two zoom. Okay. And the reason why I got that particular one is because the zoom is a glass zoom rather than a digital zoom, which yeah. means when, when I do get 4k images and I zoom into, you know, past the 25 standard mil and it goes to 50 mil, the, you can definitely tell the quality is similar. Mm. Um, and uh, the other drone I've got is a Mavic 3 a Cine Pro, which is spectacular. Um, and it also has amazing zoom. It uh, it seems, I think it's, I'm not sure how that one works. Actually, I'm still sort of looking at the mechanics of it because it. I don't think it, I think it is digital, part digital, part glass. Mm. And um, so the quality of the rushes are very high. And the, the main reason I wanted to move to the new one is because it shoots ProRes. And I don't know if you know what ProRes rushes are, but they're obviously infinitely better quality <laughs> yes. than the H.265 rushes we were getting on the Mavic 2. Gotcha. Um, small, you know, the size of sort of when it's spread out, about the size of a laptop, uh, very lightweight, mm -hmm. uh, good in high wind, um, gets you, you know, when you're asking permission and you say the drone is under a kilo, they um, it helps a lot. I know that a lot of, drone permissions uh will get you a lot further if you're under 250 grams but the, the yeah. under 250 grams drones don't have a great sensor or a good codec no. and we obviously wanted <laughs> quite high codec for this this production so and obviously you have to do a lot of training um and you have to qualify mm -hmm. and i'm i'm a obviously a caa qualified pilot i'm also an faa qualified pilot there we go i'm also a european qualified pilot and that's a lot of courses <laughs> um but you you certainly get drummed into you what the rules are and you know what the safety um safety protocols are when things go wrong um, and you know we're flying we were never as part of CIA rules allowed to fly over the crowds during a match right. that's definitely against the law but you fly as close as you can legally and this is why on the Mavic 2 it was very handy I could zoom in Mm -hmm. I made it look like I was very close when actually I was quite far away. Yeah, that is incredibly helpful. I, uh, I'm a huge, I, I love flying drones. Um, that's one of my biggest things. It's how I got into real estate photography. Um, All right. that's, that's kind of my side gig. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do the, uh, the little mini two for, for the real estate photography, cause it's just so simple and easy yeah. and tiny and can take literally in your pocket anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. but I love that Mavic two. Um, those things are so good and yeah, uh, it, it, that's been my thing for a very long time. I tried to get on a few docu-series, um, just as a drone pilot, but I, I don't have enough, um, or I didn't have enough, uh, footage at the time. I was trying to get on that. Uh, do you, do you ever watch long way down, long way around and long way up? I think I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. Okay. Um, cool. It's, it's you, you and McGregor. Series, is that right? Uh, it's, uh, British and Scottish, um, or yeah. Scottish, uh, I don't know. It's got it's got an American producer on it, um, Russ Malkin, and mm. then it, 
Uh, it's Ewan McGregor and one of his buddies. They travel. Oh around. yes, of course. What am I thinking? Yes, yes. yes. Travel around the world Motor on motorcycles. Around the world on the motorbikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I tried to try to get on that one, but uh, they already were crewed up and didn't need another, <laughs> another drone pilot. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm, I must admit, when I first the drone came in, it was a bit annoying because it would just you had stop for it to be done all the time, and then mm. I realized I wouldn't get certain gigs because I wasn't a drone pilot. Yes. So I thought, well, I, I have to, I have to now. And no, I, I really enjoy it, especially the new, the new one I've caught. It just feels mm. like helicopter rushes. They, yes. You know, they feel so close. And um, I'm able to get, you know, things that you wouldn't get from helicopter because it's too loud. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, you can get, you know, flying under bridges and flying under things legally, of course, um, where right. you've got permission and flying through things that you obviously couldn't do in a helicopter. Then it feels surreal which yes. is you know it's important you want to make it do things that other kit can't do otherwise it just becomes um you know very blasé and pedestrian mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely um i'm unfamiliar with with the laws as far as drone pilots go in in the uk what are what are some of the hoops you got to jump through to become a, a legal flyer there well, you, you first have to set a test, mm -hmm. um, and that requires about 20 hours of sort of online work. Okay. And then you have to prove you can fly, which I know in America you don't necessarily have to. Nope. And they will watch you um, do simple things like fly out to 50 meters from yourself and try and do a circle of eight, and they'll check an observer checking that you can do the circle of eight okay. and then they'll fly you out almost as far as you're legally out, allowed to. And then they'll cover your eyes and they'll turn the drone a bit. And then they'll say as quick as you can, bring it back to you. And you have to work out because obviously there's an easy way mm -hmm. to point the drone at yourself. And I, I must admit in my head now, I can't remember how to do it, but I know how to do it with my hands a bit like right. <laughs> um, and then if you can successfully do that, then, um, you know, you know how to orientate the drone, and you know when it's heading away from you rather than coming towards you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, I would say that the laws in the UK are definitely more restrictive than the US. I feel like there is more freedom. Um, but in the recent sort of updates, they've, they've, got a, they've got a bit freer with the newer drones. And as they get lighter, they're getting a, a bit easier with the laws. But, um, yeah. you know, it's similar, similar having sat all three tests now. It's, it's similar things with a few little, little tweaks here and there. Okay. But generally, generally speaking, obviously, you can't fly over roads if there's traffic. You definitely right. can't fly over highways, can't fly over assemblies of people. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what a good zoom is for. And you can you can do things, I think, with these drones that you couldn't do before. So, you you know, you use these yeah. tools to bless your ability. And um, it, yeah. it is funny when someone from a different country says, oh, can you do this? And you think, mm, I'd love to be able to do that, but I really can't. If I was in your country, I could do that. But not here. <laughs> I do miss the days before like laws and regulations caught up to drone technology because I was flying way back then and there were like no rules at the beginning like no one they had no idea how to regulate them at the very beginning um, and then they overcorrected and now it seems like it's it's back to what it sh maybe should be maybe not I don't know but um, yeah it well, was like the wild that, for a while um, you know people who went a bit nuts and caused a bit of harm or caused danger, yeah. unfortunately ruined it for everyone else. 
Yep. Those dum-dums trying to catch an airplane from 15 feet away landing yeah. at an airport. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll get you in trouble, definitely. Yeah, don't don't fly it into the engine of a plane. That should be step, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that should be the first thing you learn. Um, uh, what else? Um, I had, so basically, one of my big questions was like, what has been your favorite part of working on, on Welcome to Wrexham? Oh, um, I think because early on we we um, well there's two there's two parts and one that surprised surprised me how much I enjoyed it. We originally shot the actuality on zooms, and we sort of looked at some of the rushes and went, "Can we can we improve the look?" Mm. And this was sort of fed back from sort of LA and through you know John and Milos, and. Um, we obviously had a set of primes in our kit and we used the primes for shooting interviews. And they were, they, you know, they were sort of older Zeiss, very fast, 1.3. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you open them wide open and you were in a sort of dark space, you'd see the edges vignette a little bit. So that's mm -hmm. how fast they were. Yeah. And um, I had shot because of um, the kit was spread around too much one day and I just had primes with me. And I had shot a scene of actuality with primes and um, we sort of looked at it and I sort of said to the, um, I think it was John or it might've been me Losh, but it, I had said to them, like, I really enjoyed that. I think there's something in that and um, it's risk. And I've certainly shot productions before where I have used primes as actuality, but it, you know, you really know what you're getting. Whereas you, you could walk in a room in Wrexham and you, you think you're filming one thing, but because something's happening out of the pitch, you're suddenly filming something else. And I said, I just really enjoyed it. I'm, maybe this is what we should do. So we ended up shooting almost all the actuality on primes, you know, 50, 35, mm -hmm. 25, occasionally 85. Um, and it was, if even though, yes, you can't zoom out, you can't get that thing that you want and stuff like that, you train yourself into saying right i've got this and for the next unless there's a break in the actuality i'm just going to shoot it as best i can and you can use the f-stop to sort of physically or mentally vignette things that normally you would zoom in or out on mm -hmm. and it was a real it felt like a real tool and obviously you had better you know range if the light wasn't as great so i was really i was really proud that you know everyone took that on board and we just just decided to shoot prime lenses which was great and i felt like the, the some of the scenes were really special that way um and the other thing was i mean as far as special moments go uh, was of course when Rexon was promoted mm. and i was standing next to phil when the final whistle blew <laughs> and uh the feeling and the atmosphere and as we all got crushed with the pitch invasion and invasion is probably the wrong term for that sort of thing because it was such a lovely feeling with everyone and you know a, a sigh of relief i guess from mm -hmm. people who were slightly worried that you know oh should, you know we'll go down again and it won't happen mm -hmm. um but yeah it was it was really special it was really special and just to be sort of next to the people that you'd sort of bothered for a few years <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and to see them successful was just a great feeling and i i definitely you know will park that in my brain for as long as i can because um 
you know, you can shoot a great scene and it just means something to you or there's a something that's happened in front of you that you haven't shot so well but it means something to them. Mm. But I felt like that day we'd shot it well and it meant something to them and it meant something ah. to us. So it was really it was really great day. That's the perfect storm. Uh, that's, yeah, that's such a good feeling for everybody to to experience like their individual and personal high in that moment and then do it collectively all at the same time. That's, that's a great feeling. Um, uh, one more question. Uh, I know a lot of uh, cinematographers, you know, videographers, all this uh, that, that work that love to do one specific thing. Like I know a bunch of people who love to just shoot wildlife, who love to just shoot sports. Um, is there like a specific genre you prefer shooting or do you like the variety of, of shooting different things? Oh no, definitely the latter. I definitely like variety and it just means you've just got challenges and it's not same old, same old. And maybe that's why Wrexham was um, something that was, it didn't just provide um, stability and the fact that you you kind of knew the people you were filming every day and you knew the people you were filming with every day there was new challenges and they certainly we had shot things that didn't end up making it but we tried um and you know road trips long hours mm -hmm. keep trying to keep the quality up as best you can even though we're all super tired sometimes um yeah, I, I, uh, quality is, is important to me. And I, you know, started in Australia shooting news, mm -hmm. um, which I'm, you know, I'm not going to denigrate because it certainly gave me a bit of craft. And I actually, um, when I first started in television, I just got a job cleaning a floor in a <laughs> studio. Wow. And you, I got promoted, if, if I can call it that, um, <laughs> to um, floor direct, it's called, where you basically just, point the, you, the person the presenter you've got three cameras on the floor you just point to the one that they're going to next mm -hmm. and then i got promoted to camera floor camera so i was behind one of those cameras and then it was up in the box so i'll be doing the audio fade and then i'd be doing um chiron like there was i just went through the whole list because it was a tiny <laughs> channel and then within two years i was directing stuff live you know you'd be wow. switching which was a great you know, you sort of went through the whole gamut. And then by the end of it, I think, you know, I really love the EFP, ENG stuff. So I went down the, the camera route. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was a, it was a, that um, variety has stayed with me now. I'm, you know, doing cameras. So I, you know, occasionally do commercials and mm -hmm. online stuff. I'll do a little bit of drama, but not as much. I'm looking to sort of do a bit more for that in the future. Okay. But uh, wildlife is something I started about five, six years ago. Um, and, you know, this latest project I'm doing um, is, um, I don't know if you know, but in Saudi Arabia, they're building this thing called the line, which is a city yep. in 120 kilometers in one, one straight thing. So we were at the construction site for wow. a couple of weeks and uh, that's going to be ongoing. And in my head, because I'm a nerd, um, I'm thinking, what is this thing going to look like as it goes up? And hopefully I'll be there, you know, every six months just seeing it built, which would be amazing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm, I have so many more questions that just sprang up, but I'm not going to ask them right now because we'll be here for hours. <laughs> um, 
but I, I totally like that. That's the whole reason I love, I love shooting films and shooting documentaries is, is the variety. And, um, I, I am a director, but I also operate a camera while I'm doing my documentaries because I, I know that the shot that I want to get and, um, my other camera operators, uh, I want them doing other things, but like, I love having a camera in my hand. So I completely, completely, um, jive with that. Um, just wanting to be with the camera <laughs> yeah and how do you find because i find i must be i find it difficult when uh, i do have other teams and you're hoping that they're getting the thing that you mm -hmm. you hope and then you know i don't want to say it's a bad thing because quite often they're getting something better and they make yeah. it look good <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but if they don't quite get the thing you got it's it's hard to sort of relinquish that responsibility mm -hmm. and not be annoyed by it because you're like i really had the shot in mind and it didn't it didn't come through but at the same time they might have produced 10 more shots you never thought of that's made the show lift by 10 percent. so yes. it's a real like it is like i i have thought about the, the there will be jobs coming up in the future where i don't touch the camera i am literally dop from the tent i think you can call it mm -hmm. and um that'll be hard because you really have to trust people Yes. Yeah. And it's a whole different set of skills, like being able to use your words to direct somebody to, to get what you want them to get. You know, that's like completely different skill set than figuring out how to get angles and all that. Yeah. <laughs> when you shoot actuality, you have to really edit in your head as though you're an editor. Yes. You know, when is a good time to pull away for the cutaway of the person nodding? You know, you have to, I did, I try and explain to people who ask me about it. You never win with actuality, especially if you're single camera. Mm -hmm. You never win. But what you have to do is remember the whole conversation as best you can because you think, okay, I've missed that bit because I was pointing the other way, so I'll need a cutaway. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a disaster, I'll need to do it again, which obviously you, you never want to do. You always want to just finish the conversation and let them leave the room and get cutaways that help you out. Yes. And <laughs> I see people who are new to actuality stressing because they just want to be in both places. And quite often you get the response, oh, let's get two or three cameras on it. And what happens when you put two or three cameras is the first camera will destroy the best shot of the second camera and the second camera will destroy the shot of the best shot of the first camera. So you never get the angle that's best. Yes. So I'm always a fan if I do have two cameras in the room is that I will shoot a cam and I will pretend that the other camera doesn't exist. So I'm pretending yeah. like I'm getting everything. But the eight, if the other person is doing their job they'll be literally shooting the thing i'm not mm -hmm. as best they can so if in the edit it just looks fluid and dynamic and it looks like single camera and unproduced but occasionally which of course happens i'm not pointing the right direction you've got this backup you mm -hmm. know longer lens bits stepped a bit further back it's maybe it's not the best shot but it just it enhances the fact that then the people you're filming can you don't have to call them back. Oh, can we just do this again? Oh, can we do that again? So, you know, tr training people to not stress about that is is hard mm -hmm. because um, you only learn by doing and then watching your rushes or editing your rushes. I always suggest that because I was an editor before I was a cameraman, um, okay. that you do that because then you shoot something, bring it back, and then realize how much you really messed up. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then do it again and then do it again and do it again and i'm never going to say that like i walk away from an actuality scene saying i got 100 of things because you don't mm -hmm. what you have got is what you hope is the best thing that was in front of you in camera and then mm -hmm. you've got the cutaways that will 
know, glue that together. Absolutely. Well, I think you and your team do a fantastic job on the docu-series. I love the shots you get. I love the just the framing of everything. Um, there's so, like I've, I've, I've there were times when I wasn't getting um, I, I started clipping the show um, to put on this show. And then I started getting copyright issues. Um, <laughs> and so I stopped doing that. And uh, but there were half of the things that I would clip were basically y'all's shots and y'all just do such a phenomenal job. So um, really appreciate y'all um, doing that and, and making the story even better than it already was. So well, that's very nice of you to say. I'm glad that, well, um, it's really nice to hear people appreciate the work, but also just, you know, enjoy the series because I shoot many series that you think, oh, maybe someone will comment. Nope, not a single comment. Um, <laughs> but this one has been um, to pass that tenfold. Oh, well, phenomenal. You deserve it. Um, is there any projects coming out that you've worked on that you want to promote real quick? Well, there is. Uh, I mean, obviously, Planet Earth 3 is going out now, so mm -hmm. that's quite nice. And um, awesome. I, I went to the TX for the first one a while ago, but I've been away. Um, there is one that I'm hoping coming off in China next year. I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, and I, I filmed a lot in China and obviously not been back since COVID. So I'm kind of hoping mm. that comes off. There's a series I've done about COVID for Netflix. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, a few other ones about famous tennis players, which um, hopefully will come out soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, there, yeah, there's there's a lot in the works. Um, All right. Uh, it, unfortunately, it just takes years for them to come out these days um, yep. so it's very it's unusual you would shoot something and it's out within a month it just oh, takes yeah, some no. time yeah yeah nothing that stands above Wrexham at the moment although obviously we always hope to improve there we go all right well Craig thank you so much for joining me man I really appreciate you coming on no problem I appreciate you getting in contact um I mean I listened to your first episode and I feel like I'm going to be listening to a few more <laughs> well, fantastic. I appreciate that. All right, y'all. That'll do it for this one. Peace. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my interview. Craig Hastings, you stud, you beast. Um, keep killing it out there. Absolutely loved talking to you, man. Um, you're welcome back on the show anytime. Um, and looking forward to see what your project, upcoming projects will be over the next few years. Um, I'll be following your career. So um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, for anybody who's still around, uh, drop a like on the video, share it with your friends, your family, people you don't know, people you don't like, uh, just everybody, just share it around. Um, you can go follow me on Instagram and Twitter, WXM Texan, the Wrexham Texan, um, for any, I, I, I post on Instagram quite a bit. Um, I do, uh, tweets of the day, quotes of the day. I do, uh, the Texan of the match, uh, if we, if we win a game. Um, if we lose a game, there's no Texan of the match, you know? Um, so yeah, head on over there for that. I do red hot takes directly after the game. Um, and I, I think I might start doing some Instagram live stuff, uh, at right after the game, possibly. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe some Twitter spaces. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, head on over to those platforms. If you want to follow me on there. That's it for this week. Uh, next week is a review of the final episode of Welcome to Wrexham um, of season two. So you won't want to miss that. So come back next week, 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. GMT uh, for, for some more Wrexham Texan. 
Thanks, y'all. Y'all have a great week up the town. You're gonna see it And if you knock my soul Oh, with all your strength You're gonna find it You're gonna find it